food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. It is saying a lot when a conversation actually causes me to think that I should maybe work with brands. I don't like working with brands, but this conversation with Marley Bronlick from Baked Abundance actually put that thought in my head. Whether you work with brands or not, definitely give this episode a listen. You will get so much from it. Marley talks about how to stand out to brands and get repeat clients. And then she also gives a lot of tips about how to land your very first brand deal. So no matter which camp you're in, you will find value inside this episode. This is episode number 420, sponsored by Rank IQ. Enjoy. Hello, my favorite people. Let's chat quick about some ways Eat Blog Talk can help you ditch the overwhelm, manage your time, feel connected, and prioritize that seemingly never-ending stream of tasks, platforms, and algorithm changes we're faced with. The Eat Blog Talk Mastermind Program is our signature offering and the best investment you will make in your blogging business. This is a transformative 12-month experience that will help you achieve your goals faster than you ever thought possible. Join the waitlist for 2024 groups. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash mastermind to get in on that. If the mastermind program is on your dream board, but you aren't quite ready to make that investment in your business yet, the next perfect step for you might be the Eat Blog Talk Mini Minds. This six-month program is designed to help you achieve your goals and overcome any obstacles that may be holding you back so you can experience the freedoms you're yearning for. Join the waitlist for groups starting in Q4 of 2023 at eatblogtalk.com forward slash mini minds. And if you are ready to learn, grow, and build relationships in person, join me and a handful of your fellow food bloggers at an upcoming Eat Blog Talk retreat. This is a great opportunity to convene in an intimate setting to learn, collaborate, and connect. These retreats involve mastermind-style peer-to-peer collaboration and are incredibly powerful and fun experiences. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash retreat. To get information about all eblog talk services, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash services, eatblogtalk.com forward slash services. Now back to the episode. Marley has been food blogging for a little over one year. She started working full-time for an SEO agency one month later. During this time, she grew her Instagram audience to 13K followers and started working with brands to earn a side income while the blog matured and she continued to pour into the blog. Marley has learned how to successfully land brand deals and form long-term partnerships. She also grew in understanding SEO and she's applied those learnings. She is now leveraging AI to grow her business and streamline writing so that she can save time and create more content. Hey, Marley. So good to have you back on eBlog Talk. Welcome. Hi, Megan. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me again. Yes. So good to talk to you again today. Of course, we're wondering if you have a second fun fact to share before we get into our topic today. I actually do have another fun fact. It's really hard to come up with these sometimes, but this one kind of correlates with our episode today. But over the years, I've just had lots and lots of hobbies. I have taught myself how to crochet, sew, make jewelry, 
use Procreate for digital art. And I even started an Etsy shop during the pandemic and I was selling stickers and digital prints and earrings and lots of different things. And my Etsy shop still is open, but for the last year and a half, food photography has really been my passion and that seems to be what's finally sticking. So I'm very happy about that. I've met so many amazing people through food photography and I'm really glad that I finally have nailed down one hobby that I really like. Awesome. So you're a creative at heart. You are one of those people that just enjoys creating no matter what it is, it seems like. Definitely. And I always kind of have shiny object syndrome. So I need to kind of reel that in a little bit. But I love all things that are creative and um, food photography and food blogging has kind of been my most recent passion. I really enjoy it. So it's stuck for a while. So is your Etsy (laughs) shop still going strong or is it not really? I still do get some sales. It's super random. I swear I make like $10, $15 a month through (laughs) Etsy, but I just left it open because I felt bad closing it since I still got a couple of things, but most of my products are digital, so I don't have to really worry about it. Hey, that's like two cups of coffee a month. So keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yes. Okay. Well, you're here today to talk about your experience with nailing down some long-term brand partnerships after you started digging into your food blog. So talk us through your story about how you started more as like a passion project. Was this, by the way, was it like a creative endeavor that you didn't know if you would keep going or not when you started? It sort of was. That's why whenever I started, you know, I knew I did some research and I knew about the feast theme and some other, you know, best practices for food blogs. But I wasn't sure just knowing my history with different hobbies, if this one would stick. So I just went with a very basic theme to start. I started an Instagram, but wasn't posting to it yet. I was kind of just experimenting, doing photography, even with just my phone because I didn't know, you know, how committed I would be to this. But it really did just start as a passion project. I just kind of knew in the back of my mind that if I ever wanted it to be an income stream, that I could make it happen. And at least it was possible. Okay. So how did you go? How long did you go on just kind of seeing it as a passion project? I would say probably for about three to four months. I kind of was just playing around, making different fun recipes. I didn't know anything about keyword research. I was very new to like food styling, editing, and my early photos are not something I like to look back (laughs) on. I'm like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? But it's kind of cool just to see how far you've come in a little time just with with learning and and trying new things. So I think about three to four months was, was really kind of my experimental phase. And then at what point did you think, okay, I'm going to actually try to make money with this and make this like a long-term project? So it did definitely take quite a while. I technically launched my food blog in August of 2021, and I always knew that I wanted to grow it and just see what could happen. In that very first year, I really didn't experience like any growth on Instagram. I had less than 500 followers for quite a long time, but around, you know, December and January of that next year, I knew that I wanted to work with brands and even though I had a very small follower count, I didn't want to let that stop me. So I started working on a pitch email and just gathering contacts that way in the future, I would kind of be set up a little bit already. All right, so how did it go once you decided you wanted to start working with brands? What was the first thing that you like decided you needed to do to get that to happen? So the first thing I definitely focused on was just the pitch email. And then I also tried putting together a portfolio. I was not using Pixie Set or any other tool at the time. So I just kind of mocked something up in Canva. 
and I've changed that now, but that's just how I started. So I think that's another thing that's important to keep in mind is whenever you're starting out, nothing's going to be perfect. And you're probably going to look back and be like, why did I do that? But (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, you just, you just learn as you go. But I think the very first pitch emails I was sending were actually to bloggers because I thought that could maybe be a good place to start. And since I didn't have any experience working with brands yet, I wanted to see if I could work with some bloggers. And I did have some good conversations, but nothing that ever panned out. So I just kept collecting emails and putting everything in a spreadsheet. That way later I could kind of keep track of who I've reached out to and then continue to grow my Instagram. So you said that you sent some pitch emails to bloggers just to do like freelance work, freelance photography, correct? Yes. Okay. And none of that panned out, but did it give you confidence? Like, okay, I can do this. I can actually track down people that I respect and send them emails and just have a conversation with them, right? Definitely. It gave me confidence. And I also think it helped me kind of tweak my pitch email and like work out some of those initial kinks of, you know, navigating conversations, learning what kind of questions to ask, what the kinds of images are important or what other services are important to food bloggers and food creators. So I think that was a really nice way to start. And I think if you're still struggling to work with brands right now, or you do have a small following, or you're just getting started working with food bloggers could be a really nice, nice way to get get started there. So what happened after that, after you did your experiment with reaching out to food bloggers, then you moved on to brands? Yeah. So I started posting reels and I was able to grow my account to just under 10K in a very short amount of time. So this is all, I think, just completely luck. I don't know what happened with my algorithm on Instagram, but in the beginning of 2022, I really did start to grow my account. And I don't think that you need that to land any brand deals. I just think it helps on the surface if someone is coming to look at your at your page and look at your Instagram. If you do have you know, some followers, I think some brands do value that. And then you can get sponsored content instead of just freelance partnerships. Totally. Yeah. I hear this all the time. It's such a debate. Like, do I need to focus on Instagram? And then people dig in for a long time and they don't see traction. So then they leave. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I see bloggers on both sides. Like some believe that they need to just have all of those followers and they get awesome brand deals from it. But then there are people who don't, people who have very few followers, but brands still are attracted to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it depends on a lot of different factors, even just like your quality of work or if you're doing more freelance work. I don't think you need those followers at all. Yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting for me personally. I feel like just since I got lucky in this way with actually growing it with through posting reels, I was like, okay, I'll kind of just like focus on Instagram for a little bit now that it's kind of working for me and we'll just see what happens with it. But if I would have gotten stuck, you know, the under 500 followers forever, I definitely would have changed my strategy and been like Google SEO, web stories, Pinterest for sure. So I think it's very unique and and depends on your own experience, but that's just how it worked out for me. And I don't think you were lucky, Marley. Give yourself a little (laughs) bit of credit. You've said that a few times. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, luck always (laughs) comes into play for a lot of us occasionally, but it's that imposter thing like, oh, I don't know. It just happened. Like, I don't know. But I think that you did really smart. You made really smart moves and you should give yourself a little bit of credit for that. Like you knew to dig into reels and you did it consistently over time. That right there is something that most people don't do. So it was more than just luck. It was being smart and being consistent, in my opinion. Just Thank to you, Megan. I <laughs> yes. appreciate it. I appreciate it. 
But yeah, I ended up landing my first brand deal around April, May of 2022. And it was right after my 25th birthday. So that was kind of my only birthday wish that year was like, just get your first brand deal. You can do it. And you know, once you get your first one, everything moves so much smoothly after that. Like it just really does become a lot easier. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's a confidence thing or something else? I think it's partially confidence. I think it really is just kind of learning how to talk to people and negotiate and, you know, be very clear with your questions and what you're offering. And you just, you know, start to really refine your process after you've landed your first brand deal. It's like you open up the floodgates and things just start flowing, right? Once you do it once, then it becomes so much easier. So if people are listening and they're interested in pursuing brand deals, either their first one or maybe doing more like long-term partnerships, Do you have any tips for them to pursue this? Definitely. I have some tips just to land your first brand deal. And then I have some other tips on how to stand out to brands and get repeat clients. But I'll just go through a couple for your first brand deal first. Starting off, you know, really just DMing brands on Instagram. I'm sure you've heard this before, but just trying to get some emails and some contacts. I actually put this in a really big, like a Google Doc spreadsheet that way I could just go back and then I have some check boxes in there for like, did I reach out to them yet? How many times did I reach out? Like first pitch email, second pitch email, like how many follow-ups? And I was trying to really keep track of that just because it can get a little crazy whenever you're starting to send out pitch emails. And then you really just want to continue to revise your pitch email and make sure that you have, you know, what you admire about the brand in there, more information about your services what you might have in mind for a partnership, and then also always ending it with a question about their marketing goals or content needs. Mm, That's a good one. I like that. And then how, just out of curiosity, how long do you keep your emails? Do you keep them pretty short and sweet? I definitely keep them pretty short and sweet. You know, having that little blurb about this is what I admire about your brand and like this is who I am and this is what I do. It does take up a little bit of extra space, but I do try to keep it as short as I can. And there are some other ways that you can make your pitch email stand out, like including relevant images. So if you're pitching an ice cream company and you happen to have some ice cream shots, you know, insert those directly into your email so they can see Uh you have experience in that industry. Ah, okay. That's a great recommendation. So if you put things like, let's say you're pitching photography, if you put photos in your email, do you also lead them to a portfolio page or something like that? I always link my portfolio. I try not to upload like too many attachments. And I also have kind of stopped sharing a media kit unless they really request one, then I will like update mine and send it over. But I try to stay away from metrics and rate cards early on and just kind of focus on the quality of my work and just lead with the images, let them speak for themselves, show that I'm really genuine and engaged in their company and what they're doing, and just try and learn more information about them first. And then if they ask for any of those other documents, you know, I will provide them. So you focus on the quality of your work, but do you ever focus initially on, like, let's say you're crushing it on Pinterest, for example, do you put that in your email right away or do you wait on that as well? That could be a great strategy. I think sometimes for the first one, I will just kind of keep it basic. That way it takes a little bit less time. It really just kind of depends on the brand. If it's a brand you don't really have a relationship with yet, you might just want to kind of get your foot in the door. But if it's someone you've already pitched in the past or you're just trying to really like move the needle and, and get something to happen, 
I think including examples of really good metrics or like you mentioned, you know, if you're killing on Pinterest, right in the email. So I personally, I've done like little screenshots of some of my reels and then it includes the view count. And so you can show like, this is what some of my past like sponsored content has looked like, or even if it's not sponsored and you just have some really good metrics. Do you ever include video? You said you included a screenshot. Do you ever actually put video in your emails? I have not started to put video in, but I do have that on my list here as a good way to get noticed in a pitch email. I learned this from Candice from, I believe, Eat More Cake by Candice. And she's been talking about the importance of including video in your pitch emails because it adds human touch. You know, personally, I think not everyone wants to hop on a discovery call, which is what I've found personally when like putting that out there. I don't think everyone always has the time for that. But including video definitely could make you stand out because I don't think a lot of people are doing it right now. There is an awesome member in my mastermind group. Shout out to Ello, Cooking with Ello. She's so awesome. And one thing that she is starting to do is reaching out to brands. She includes a really fast, quick, easy recorded Loom video. So I think she's staying under 30 seconds maybe, but just super quick intro. Here's who I am. Just like clean background. I don't remember what she goes into, but like, you know, caters it to each brand and then sends them the Loom video. I think that's a really low barrier thing for them to like, oh, I just click on it. And I think she's telling them in the email, like this is under a minute or, you know, like telling them it's not going to be a huge investment of their time. I don't know how that's panned out. I think she was just getting started with it, but I thought that was such a good idea just to include like a really short snippet of you just talking to them. Because when you make that, like you said, human touch, human connection, I think that can go a really long way. Oh my gosh, definitely. I love that. Whenever I start pitching again, I've been taking a little break because I'm updating my website, but once I start pitching, video is going to be something I'm adding to my strategy 100%. Okay, so you talked about your call to action. So you end with what questions? Does it kind of vary depending on the brand? It does vary. And most of the time, it's just something about, you know, I'd love to learn more about your marketing goals. Like what products are you focusing on this month? Or what are your current content needs? Something like that. I always like to ask about the products that they're focusing on if they do have a wide variety of different products. Like currently I've been working with Navitas and they've been amazing to work with. And I always double check and say like, you know, are there any products right now that you guys are promoting in the next couple months or like, what are you focusing on? So then that way I can create recipe ideas that include those products. So you're asking them something about them, their brand and not what they want from you. I like that. So it's like you're asking information about themselves instead of like, what do you want from me sort of thing. Definitely. That's, I think that's really smart. Okay. So talk about consistency because I know like it's really easy to put a pitch email out there and then just hope that they get back to you. And then after a few weeks or a week, you're like, where are they? Why why haven't they written me back? So how often do you reach back out and like how consistent are you are you with that? Initially, I started sending follow-up emails about a week after my initial email. Since I've kind of changed my process a little bit since I started, sometimes I will even send a follow-up email, you know, three days later because I think sometimes those really long gaps in between, not only do maybe they're forgetting about you, but I think it's easier for you to forget as well. So if I'm waiting too long in between you know, life gets in the way and I completely just forget to go back and and send them another follow-up email. So sometimes I'll send the first email, you know, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. 
Mondays and Fridays I try to stay away from, but it's okay if you have to send it out on those days. You also can just schedule it in Gmail or whatever you're using and it will send automatically in advance. So I like to do that as well. But every couple of days, you know, I'll send a follow-up and then maybe I put a little bit more time in between each one after the second or third follow-up. I think if you're not hearing back and you're just, it's, you know, radio silence, trying out that video content could be really nice Mm -hmm. just to see if something else catches their eye and maybe they click on that. And I think some tools you can actually see if they've watched it. So that could be another valuable reason to try video. How often do you just get radio silence? Like you don't hear back at all. (laughs) So that I think is one of the most like disheartening parts about trying to work with your very first brand. There are lots and lots and lots of times where you're not going to hear anything back. And sometimes it might take the brand six months to a year to actually respond to you. And, you know, I was trying to work with a company that last year and I had been reaching out to them since I had started pitching and I never really heard anything. And then finally in Q4, you know, I got a response and I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Like I've been reaching out to you guys for so long. This is amazing. And we ended up having a partnership. So, you know, yeah. never give up, but sometimes it just takes a little bit longer and then you might find some another better opportunity along the way. Why do you think it takes so long? Like for that example that you just gave, why in the world did it take that long? I honestly don't know, just since I'm not on the other side of it. Like, I don't know if contacts email box was just super, super full or if, you know, after so many times they're like, okay, who is this person? I need to see what they're about <laughs> or, or what was going on there. But I think also if brands already have all of their content needs fulfilled and they're already working with enough creators and they don't need anything, I think they probably might just ignore a lot of those emails rather than take the time to say, sorry, like we're all good for now. Thanks for reaching out. Like, you know, just taking those, those couple of minutes, I think they don't want to do that. So if they already are working with people, which I feel was the case with this instance, that might be another reason. So a lot of it's even just timing too. You might just reach out and it just might not be a good time. Yeah. And you made a good point. You don't know what is going on on their end. Like it could be a number of factors. So don't take it personally, right? And just to be consistent on your end, keep it up. Even over the course of months and months, it can pay off as it did for you, right? Definitely. Yeah. So do you have additional tips for getting that first brand deal? That was pretty much everything for getting your first deal. I think just kind of wrapping that up, Definitely being consistent, being very proactive, showing that you truly care about the brand. If you're not really hearing back from them via email, maybe start engaging with them on Instagram more, leaving lots of comments or sending messages through stories and just not forgetting to send those follow-up emails because eventually you'll hear from them whether it's a yes or a no. And you just want to make sure you you know don't leave them hanging and you stay consistent. Hey, food bloggers, whether you are a foodie podcaster or just a food blogger who doesn't yet have a podcast, you might be looking to spice up your social media account with unique and exciting content. If you want that secret edge that makes you stand out in your niche, I might have the answer for you. Katarina from Creators Abroad can help you streamline your podcasting and or social media endeavors with audio editing, video editing, or social media strategies. She specializes in working with food bloggers, tailoring her content creation packages to their needs. Whether you want to explore something new like creating a gripping podcast, or if you want to refresh your social media strategies by creating scroll-stopping video content, 
for platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, she has got you covered. If this sounds intriguing, get in touch with Katarina. Receive a 10% discount off your first purchase by using the code EBT101. Offer lasts until September 1st, 2023. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash resources to get more information about Katarina's services. Again, eblogtalk.com forward slash resources and click on Katarina's link. Now let's get back to the episode. Love it. I think those are all such great tips. Now, do you have tips about how to stand out to brands and get those repeat clients that we want so badly? Yes, definitely. Getting repeat clients is so important because as you can tell, it takes a lot of work just to land that first client. So by turning that first deal into multiple deals, you know, it just makes it a lot easier on you. You have income you can rely on. You start building this relationship with the brand and you understand what they want, you can anticipate their needs a little bit better. So getting repeat clients is definitely the goal. I do have a couple tips. I'll go through a couple of them. But the first one is just to over communicate. It's always better to over communicate and ask questions and get more clarity before starting the project. Personally, I would rather ask the brand questions and double check on the use of a certain ingredient or what the styling should look like first. That way I can avoid doing a reshoot or delivering images that aren't spot on. Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) That's the worst (laughs) ever having to redo your work. So I love that over communication and it sometimes feels awkward. I feel like doing that. It's like, do we really need to talk about this in such detail? But the answer is yes. Right, Marley? Yes, you do. (laughs) Yeah. And a perfect example of that would be, you know, I recently was working on a smoothie bowl and I was like, you know, what kind of toppings do you want this to have? Do you want it to be more complex like these images? And I like to include some example shots that I'll find from Pinterest. And a lot of smoothie bowls are styled very beautifully with coconut flakes and nut butter and all these different ingredients on the top, but they really just wanted to be simple. And so they asked for only two ingredients on the top. And I was like, oh, okay, that's surprising. That's not what I would have done naturally. So I was really glad that I asked first. Oh gosh. Yes. I I love that. And then do you put, maybe you're getting to this, but do you put contracts together initially, like right up front, or do you do all of this communication and then put a contract together? Once I can tell that we're probably going to get a partnership, that is when I will start on my contract. And I have a template that I use that I've, you know, changed a little bit over time after I've done more research. And I'd like to have it checked out even further to make sure I'm not missing anything in there. But I'll start to work on the contract once the brand kind of verbally says, like, we'd like to move forward with this package or, you know, we start talking about what recipes we'd want to do. Okay. Okay. What's another tip for just making sure that you stand out? One other thing that kind of is similar to my first tip would be to be transparent with where you are at in your process and then when the client can expect to receive your work. So again, this might feel kind of silly or like you're communicating with them too much, but I always like to let them know like, Hey, I'm getting started on recipe development. Hey, I'm getting started on this. Like anything else you want to share before I do the final images and then like, okay, I shot the recipe. Here's the portfolio, like, or the the images that you want to select to edit. And then here's when you can expect to receive all of the final assets. Yeah, I think that goes along with the over-communication, right? Just like staying on top of it. Do you track all of this in your sheet that you have? 
<laughs> I would be really excited if I did. I definitely do not talk any of this. <laughs> Wish I could say yes. <laughs> but yeah, I like to just like, you know, just send an email even um, on the weekend if I'm kind of thinking about like, okay, like this week I need to reach out to this person, let them know what I'm doing. And then just kind of just send over emails quickly. And I try not to get caught up on sending, you know, like the most professional thought out emails, because sometimes that can just take so long to like craft this perfect email and reading it like 10 times before you hit send. Like, I feel like it doesn't always have to be that deep. And I will just say, you know, hey, here's where I'm at. Anything else, you know, just send something over really quickly so they can also respond quickly as well. Do you ever offer extras on top of what you promise them? Yes, that is one of my ways to stand out. Ah. Personally, you know, I'm more lenient with this. Some photographers I've talked to are a lot more strict with, you know, providing any extra deliverables. I like to provide sometimes one to two extra images. I still keep it pretty small because I don't want to be like, here's 10 extra images because right. that just is going to look a little bit odd of, of, with your pricing. But I'll, I'll provide one or two extras. Sometimes if we're doing a shoot and there's multiple products in there and they, the client can only choose five images and then they were unable to select one and one of the products is missing from the final delivery, I'll just go ahead and add that one in because I'm like, oh, you didn't get to pick one with this product in it. I'm just going to send this one over to you as well. Another great way to send an extra deliverable is repurposing a video clip you already did for them and just kind of making a shorter like five second video that you're just repurposing from your original content. I am a huge believer in over-delivering when you are establishing a relationship. I do this in like my masterminds if I'm trying to get something or any program that I'm trying to get up and running. I love over-delivering because people are always so surprised. They're like, oh my gosh, you did this really for me? I think that goes <laughs> such a long way, even if it is just like one to two images like you're saying. Do you find that it's pretty well received when you give that extra Definitely. Every time I've ever given any extra content, you know, they're always really appreciative of it. And they're like, oh, we really appreciate that. Thank you so much for sending over that bonus, whatever. And I think that's another important thing is that you should always mention that it's complimentary or just mm. use some language that indicates that this is out of the norm for you. And, you know, usually that extra content would come at a cost, but you're happy to, you know, provide that for free or as a bonus or, you know, complimentary, some kind of language like that. So they're not just like, oh, was this an accident? She put two extra images <laughs> on here. Yeah, you have right. to point that out. Okay, what else do you have that makes you stand out? So one other thing that I did last year that I think just helps you build that relationship and stand out are any kind of thoughtful messages or like personalization you can add. So, you know, one thing we talked about earlier is doing maybe a little personalized video. So you can just kind of say, here's who I am, excited to work with you. Another option would be maybe a holiday e-card. I sent that out to all of my clients and people I was just kind of talking with that, you know, we didn't, we were maybe talking about partnerships for this year and nothing was set in stone, but I sent everyone a holiday e-card and just said, you know, thank you for talking with me this year. I was excited to learn more about your brand. Can't wait to see what happens like in the new year or something like that. People love that stuff. I personally love it when people just kind of randomly send me like an e-card or like a note in the mail. Isn't that the best thing ever when you get an actual note in the mail? I think that goes such a long way. Yes. I love sending letters. I still like send cards to all my friends and family for birthdays or Valentine's Day and things like that. And so if you do have your client's address or maybe it's like a local business you're working with, I think a handwritten card or a thank you note would go a really long way. And then if not, you can kind of resort to that e-card. 
It's almost shocking when I get a handwritten note in the mail. It's like, oh my gosh, someone actually <laughs> took the time to get out a pen and this cute little <laughs> card and put my address. I mean, it's like such a special thing. So I totally agree. Get that address, write a handwritten note, and it will go such a long way. And then what do you think about just being like kind of go with the flow? Like, do you are you just like an easy to work with person? And do you feel like that goes a long way as well? Yes, definitely. I, I would always say be easy and fun to work with. You know, come to the table with lots of new ideas, show that you're excited about doing the work and that you really enjoy it. You know, every time I deliver any assets to the brands I'm working with, I'm like, I, this was so delicious. And I like give them a little bit of information about how the recipe tasted and how much my, like my family enjoyed it or how much fun I had putting together the shoot and that I'm obsessed with how the images turned out and things like that. Mm. Like really just showing that I had a good time and making sure you're easy to work with. So, you know, you're not delivering things late. You're not, you know, forgetting to do something and then they're asking for it. Just really being super upfront and also delivering any of your assets early is amazing. Ooh, and if not one. on time. Oh, I love that so much. Do you get shocked replies like, oh my gosh, you're early. I, they definitely will notice. They'll be like, thanks so much for getting this done on such a short timeline or something like yeah. that. So, you know, they, they do notice things like that. And I think it just makes it easier for someone else because you're, you just have to remember like the person on the other side of the screen is just a regular human, just like yourself. And, you know, they're just trying to do their job and build out, you know, a content strategy and make sure they have all their ducks in a row. So just helping them do that is, you know, really, really nice. <laughs> I think delivering assets early is such a great way to make yourself stand out above, like set yourself apart from others, because I think it's really unusual to do that. And it's so easy. Like if you just put two days or whatever it is on your calendar sooner than when you need to deliver it, that can go such a long way. Exactly. I always pretend that it's due earlier than it uh, is. So I'm yes. like, okay, it's actually due on this day. Plus you really want to give yourself a couple extra days because even if it's due on the first of the month, that's like the final assets are due on the first of the month, not like just, you know, the proofs of your images. Like then maybe it takes a day for them to choose them. Then it takes you a day to edit them and then you have to get them back. So sometimes it ends up being, you know, after the due date. So really giving yourself some extra days is really helpful. And from their perspective, if there are two content creators and they produce both, you know, really quality work, one delivers assets like on the schedule they set and the other delivers early, they're probably going to go with the person who delivers early consistently. So I love that. I never think of stuff like this. It's so simple. Do you have other tips to just stand out to brands? I think we covered most of them. Yeah, just creating quality work, I think would be the last one. But that's not really a surprise. I just think, you know, create work that you're proud of. And then that way, when you see it on that brand, social media or website, you know, you want to feel good about it. You want to feel that it reflects your abilities. If someone else notices that it's your work, you don't want to be, you know, embarrassed of it or think like, oh, I could have done better or, oh, I didn't leave myself enough time and I had to rush that one. And, you know, I don't like how that looks on their, on their site. I'm not happy with that. You just want to be happy with your work and create quality works. And that way, you know, they enjoy what you're providing and, and you feel good about it too. I love it. Okay. So you've got a brand who loves you. You've done all these things to make yourself stand out. Then how do you approach like, let's work together over time. Do you like present an idea and then have them sign a contract or how does that go? Definitely. So most of the time I've been working with brands in three month increments. So we'll decide on three recipes 
for the next few months, you know, just right up front. And then that will go into the contract. And then that way you just can kind of adjust your pricing right away if you need to, if something's, you know, really complex recipe. But really working on the three-month increments has been kind of the most popular among different brands I've worked with. And then once you've worked with a brand for your first deal, you know, you can offer a bundled package or an exciting idea that could lead to a long-term partnership. So I typically will offer a couple different bundled options with some with video, some without, and and just kind of see what they're interested in from there. And then after a partnership is done, let's say you do a three-month partnership and it's finished, how do you do follow-ups? Like, do you follow up with stats or what do you do from there? Yeah, definitely. Certain brands I've worked with are very interested in the metrics and it's very, that's like very important to them. Other brands I've worked with don't really mind about the metrics and they really just want the content for things like their email newsletter and really like the content is king rather than how it performs on social media. So you kind of have to see what's important to the brand first. But I think it's always nice to send out, you know, a little metrics report card. Sometimes we, you know, we can't control the algorithm. And I definitely have had a couple sponsored posts not do as well as I wanted. And so in those cases, you know, you kind of can just think about, you know, do I want to share these stats or not? Really, if I have anything that just kills it on Instagram and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like that video got so many views and like, this is crazy. I always, always share things like that. If it's something that, you know, I could have been, could have been a little bit better. It depends. You could either say like, hey, I know that these are the metrics you were going for, like you wanted and you expected. We didn't really hit that this time. Here's what I can do to, you know, try again. And maybe that's reposting the video two, two weeks later. Maybe it's doing an additional carousel post for them, like complimentary, something like that. So there's different ways you can kind of navigate the metrics piece. Is there anything else people should know about just carrying on that long-term relationship and then moving into like other long-term relationships? Mm-hmm. I would definitely go back and follow all of the different tips we've already talked about on how to stand out with brands and just land different paid partnerships because all of those tips are going to help you when you're trying to form a long-term partnership. Also, I try not to give it a lot of time in between the three-month increments. I don't want to just wait a month and be like, oh, hey, we haven't done anything last month. Like, Do you want to do another three-month partnership? Right at the very last recipe when I'm delivering that, my next email is basically like, so what else do you need? So what do you want to do for the next three uh, months? Yeah. And so you're just you know keep rolling into the next one is kind of been the best strategy for me so far. Is this exhausting? I feel like it would be so <laughs> much to just be like, I mean, depending on how many brands you're working with at a time, it's so much work because it seems like the relationship you have with someone you want to be good friends with or like you just have to be on your toes all the time and like delivering your best self. Is it tiring? I think it's more tiring to pitch to brands you've never worked with before. I think the long-term partnerships, I just feel a lot better about them. I feel more confident in you know, our relationship that we've formed. And, you know, I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh no, what if, you know, they don't need my content anymore and I'm just gonna have to move on from that. Like that's always in the back of my head because, you know, it can happen. Like things change, budgets change, you know, different people are coming in and different, there's different competition and stuff like that. So that's something I worry about, but really working with long-term partnerships has been pretty fun, honestly, and not too overwhelming or tiring because, you feel more comfortable talking with that person. You know that they enjoy your work. And as long as you really find those good clients, I think you'll be happy. 
But sending out all those initial pitch emails and looking at all the follow-ups, like that is the most exhausting part for sure. So it's really the courting of the brands that is the most (laughs) exhausting, you would say. Yes. Yes, for sure. Okay. So I'm sure that in this process and all of the brands you've reached out to and worked with, you have learned some lessons. What is like your maybe top one or two lessons that you've learned through just making mistakes? Awesome. Yeah, I have made definitely quite a few mistakes and I feel like that could be an entirely separate episode on its own. But one thing that I've done that I have noticed time and time again, you know, doesn't give me the result that I need to need to get or want to get is sending your rates too early. So if you know, you just if someone responds to your pitch email and they immediately ask, what are your rates? How much do you charge? What are your prices? And you send them back immediately. You know, I did this early on just because I didn't really know what I was Mm. doing. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Here you go. Here's a rate sheet and here's my media kit and here's all of those basic things. A lot of the time you don't hear back from them because they're just price shopping and they're just comparing your prices with somebody else. And they're just looking for, Uh, you know, the lowest work they can find, lowest cost work they can find. Yeah. So sending your rates too early is going to probably lead to you getting ghosted. Okay. All right. Any other big mistakes that are just glaring in your head that you need to let out and share with us? (laughs) (laughs) I'll try and think of a couple others. Just one thing that I learned also from Candice was that sometimes you might want to include an expiration date in your quote. That way it's not locking you into the same pricing six months or a year later. So that also happened to me where early on in the first three months of pitching, I sent somebody my rates Six months later, they send me a message and say, oh, yeah, we'd love to do package two. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Because by then I'd kind of learned what to charge and what my worth was. And, you know, I'd already worked with another brand. So I was like, you know, really starting to navigate pricing in general. And I was like, well, this isn't terrible, but it's not what I would have quoted them today. So had I included an expiration date there, I could have been like, oh, well, that was my pricing six months ago. A lot has changed, you know, since yeah. then. Here's what it looks like now. Um, so that can be a really useful, useful thing to know when getting started. I love that. So think of it like food in the fridge, like it has to expire, right? And just being upfront, like, oh, sorry. And then you don't have to backtrack like, well, I do like quarterly pricing. You don't have to explain any of that. It's just very clear and upfront. Mm-hmm. Back to that over-communication thing that you talked about earlier, right? Definitely. All right. This is so great. I feel like we've touched on some really novel things that we've never covered here on the podcast relating to working with brands. So thank you, Marley. This is such an incredible conversation. Is there anything that you feel like we've missed before we start saying goodbye? I think that's everything. Amazing. I loved this conversation. You almost had me convinced to go start working with brands. <laughs> as much <laughs> as I hate it, that's is saying a lot. So thank you for joining me. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you again. Do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with today? I have some words of inspiration. It's a little long, but I feel like it it goes well with our what we talked about today. So I have, don't be afraid to try something new. Because as I mentioned, I've tried a million different hobbies and finally one has stuck. And everything you've done has led you to where you are now. So your path is unique. Even if you wish you could have been at this moment in time years ago, you've gained so much valuable knowledge and wisdom about yourself, your goals, and your business along the way. So try to let go and just enjoy the journey. That's something I struggle with, but I've been trying to be a little bit better at. 
Oh, it's so hard to do that, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's the simplest concept, but when you actually try to put it in action, it's so hard. But yes, love it. Great way to end. We will put together another show notes page for you, Marley. So if you want to look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash baked abundance two. Tell everyone again where they can find you online and on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Baked Abundance, and my website is bakedabundance.com. I'm recently on TikTok, and I'm at Food with Marley over there. And then if you have any other questions, don't hesitate to send me a message on Instagram, or you can sign up for my newsletter series specifically for food bloggers and content creators, where I share more information about working with brands, finding paid opportunities, updating your portfolio, SEO tips, and all the good things. Awesome. Thank you for offering that. That's super generous of you. So take her up on that, everyone. Thank you again so much, Marley, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Don't forget to head to forum.eatblogtalk.com to join our free discussion forum and connect with and learn from like-minded peers. I will see you next time.